You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. This is week number three in our series called Don't Limit God. Turn to somebody close by and holler at them. Say, you, are, are you limiting God? Tell them this. Say, you need to stop it. Okay. Tell them they need to, you need to stop limiting God. Amen. So that's what we're, we're looking at today. We're studying about these things. And uh, I'll give you a little bit of groundwork and uh, you know, for the last few months of 2022, the Lord was dealing with me as far as, um, you know, just taking the limits off of him. And of course, I began to pray and seek God as to how I was limiting God. And the Lord brought some insight and some revelation to me. I encourage you. I shared more about it for me personally last week. So if you didn't hear last week's message, go out to the website and download it. And get a hold of it because it'll, it'll be, I believe, will be a blessing to you. Because here's what I really believe. All of us in the body of Christ, every Christian, we are limiting God to one degree or another. And, you know, we looked at some scriptures uh, early in the first part about God has no favorites. So when you see somebody else that's going further, uh, you know, let me just use myself as an example. When I see a pastor that I know and respect and, and God is blessing their church and, and um, you know, I, I, what I can't do is look at them and get mad. So what I have to do is I have to ask God, okay, what is the difference? And listen, I'm going to say this to you. This is, there's some pastors that probably would disagree with me on this, but I don't believe God raises up teeny churches. He raises up churches that start small, but I believe churches are supposed to grow and flourish, flourish and thrive and become, uh, you know, not everybody's going to have 50,000 people in their church. I'm smart enough to know that, but I believe God wants us to grow. He wants us to reach as many people for Jesus as we possibly can. So all that being said, you know, I know God has no favorites, so I went to him and I said, okay, Lord, what, what is the deal? And he, he challenged me, and, and he challenged me, first of all, through this book by Andrew Womack, a great, great minister. I love Andrew just because he's so plain, so just honest, and he really teaches the Word of God very well. And uh, so he wrote this book because God dealt with him about the same thing in his ministry 20 years ago in, in 2002. And uh, so I encourage you, if you don't have this book, go ahead and get this book. As I said to you, a lot of the content from this, this series is coming from this book. And so this will probably be, I might go one more Sunday acknowledging this book. And then after that, the material's mine. Okay. So it came up for me. All right. But anyway, no, I really appreciate Andrew. As I shared with you, I had an opportunity to sit down with him personally with a small group of pastors. We talked about some of the things in the book. And uh, so it was just a great blessing. But that was in 2018 when that happened. And so, you know, here we are in 2023. And, and I want to say this to you. And I mentioned this last week, but I want to say it to you. Sometimes we're not ready for certain things that God wants to say to us. 
You know, Jesus told his disciples, you remember the last night he was with them, he said, there's many things I want to say to you, my paraphrasation, there's many things I want to say to you, but you're not ready for it. You're not ready to handle it. And so there are things that God wants to deal with us on. God wants to bring revelation on, but we're not quite ready. And so sometimes you might hear a message or read a book or something like that. And then God will lead you later on to pick that same material up. You read it again and you're going, how did I miss this the first time? And so that's kind of where I was. And so in the latter part of 2022, I picked up this book again and began to read it. And God began to speak to me in it in how I was limiting him where our church is concerned. And so we're making some adjustments. We're taking the limits off. Are you taking the limits off of God this year? All right. When, and this isn't just something to hype you up here at the first series in 2023. I want us to make some adjustments in our lifestyles so that we can take the limits off of what God wants to do in our lives. Let's look at the foundation scripture. It's found in Psalm 78, verse 41. Talking about the children of Israel, the New King James says this, Yes, again and again, they, the children of Israel, tempted God, and look at this, and limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, what this tells me is, is that even though God is all-powerful, God is all-knowing, God is omnipresent, He's everywhere at the same time, He cannot do certain things in the lives of His people if they are limiting Him. So, you know, this whole mindset that a lot of Christians have where if, if God has something for me, he'll just do it in my life. Well, no, he won't. Not unless you take the limits off and you're believing him for it. The, the Passion Translation says this, again and again, they limited God, preventing him from blessing them. And when I saw this in the Passion, I stepped back and I said, Lord, are there areas where I'm limiting you and you're not able to bless me in the way that you're wanting to bless me? And again, it says continually, they turn back from him and provoke the Holy One of Israel. As I said to you, the word limited in the Hebrew means restraining someone from what they can do because of one's own attitudes or actions. So what we do by our attitudes and actions is we put the handcuffs on God and will not let him do what he wants to do. Now also, and, and this kind of was interesting to me in the Hebrew, it also means to cause someone discomfort or pain because of our attitude or our behavior. So what that tells me is, is that when we limit God, it hurts him. That's why this is serious because God wants to do things for us. He desires to pour out his goodness in our lives. He desires to take us places that he wants us to go. He desires for us to accomplish certain things in our lives that he has planned for us. But when we limit him, we hurt him. It hurts his heart, just like a good parent. Amen? Are you still here? Yeah. No, okay. All right, so then we began to ask the question, how do we limit God? And I gave you eight things. I'm just going to run through these real quick. So the first way we limit God is we limit God through our wrong beliefs. You know, we just have misbeliefs, things that are out of line with the Word of God. And so we miss God through and limit Him through our wrong beliefs. The second one is we limit God by comparing ourselves with others, with other people. In other words, 
We might look at family members and see, well, they only went so far in life, so maybe that's what my destiny is. In other words, that's as far as I'm going to go. Well, you can't do that. God has a different standard. God has a better and a higher standard for us to reach for. And so you can't look at what happened in anybody else's life. You need to go for what God has for you in your life. Number three, we limit God by getting distracted by the cares of this world. You know, we need to be kingdom of God minded. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. He didn't say seek only. He said, seek first the kingdom of God. And when you do, all these things that he mentioned would be added to us. But a lot of times we just get distracted by the cares of this world. Meaning a lot of times, and listen, can I say this to you? A lot of times when life is good, we get complacent. We get distracted. Now, I'm not saying I enjoy the tough times. None of us enjoy the tough times. But how many of you know we tend to seek God and read our Bibles a little bit harder and more when things are a little tough? Okay, so what we've got to do is we've got to make the adjustment and seek God all the time the same way. All right. Then number four, we limit God through our fear of risk. You know, we're just afraid God is going to ask us to do something that might make us uncomfortable. Well, I got good news for you. He probably will. Now, he's not going to send you, uh, you know, to be a missionary to uh, the deep, dark jungles of Africa unless you have a desire in your heart to do that, okay? So you don't have to be afraid of that kind of risk. But what you need to do is you need to understand that God is going to stretch you. He's going to take you further than you've ever been. And he's going to ask you to step out by faith. And so what we can't do is be afraid of the risk that's associated with that. Now, I'm not saying we make foolish decisions. I'm saying we follow God and we believe his word. So then number five, we limit God with a fear of failure. Well, I don't want to do that, God, because I'm afraid I might fail. Well, can I say something to you? Um, your life does not end. Jesus does not fall off the throne if you fail. You know, again, I, one of my favorite verses from the book of Proverbs is, is a, a righteous man may fall seven times, but he will arise. Get up. If you fail, get up and go at it again. Amen? All right, number six is we limit God with a fear of change. Is there anybody in the room that likes and, and just looks forward to things changing all the time? None of us do, okay? But I can promise you that sometimes change is necessary. But here you, here's what you need to understand, and this goes back to what we started out saying, is because of the goodness of God, if he leads us to change, it's for our good, okay? All right, then number seven is we limit God because of a fear of man. What are, what are people going to think about me if I go 100% gung-ho for the Lord? What are people going to think? And you've got to arrive to a point where you don't care what people think. Now, I'm not saying, you know, we become islands unto ourselves and we just disregard what other people think, but we just have to get to a place where we are mindful of only what the Lord thinks about us and not so much what people think about us, all right? And then lastly, number eight, we limit God because of a fear of success. 
And, and I'm going to say this to you. Uh, some, if not most of these, had impacted my life to a great degree. But number eight is the one that I was really bogged down with. Number eight, being afraid of success. Now, what does that mean? Because I did not, I, and early on, I'll just say this real quick. Early on, uh, I had been warned against letting pride enter into my life. And so I, I was trying to protect myself from that. And because, uh, you know, in my experience in church, and many of you have heard and seen leaders that have fallen because of pride, they got caught up, uh, you know, thinking that they were the ones who had, had begun to cause every, all the good things that were happening in their ministries and so forth and so on. And it caused them problems. And you know, the book of Proverbs says, pride goes before a what? A fall. Amen. So fear of success is where I was in the sense of I didn't want to allow pride to be able to enter in and start to cause me problems. So what I would do is I wouldn't let myself see me and our church experiencing a great deal of success. And, and it almost had become, become an, a subconscious, unconscious thing that I was doing. And so I would not allow myself to dream. I would not allow myself to receive vision from the Lord to a great degree because I didn't want that success to affect me. And what the Lord showed me was, is that was actually pride itself because I couldn't trust him to prepare and protect me for when growth came. And, and so I felt like I had to protect myself from that. All right. And so what happened is because of that fear of success, I was limiting God. Well, the good news is as of about Thanksgiving, the limits are off. It's on like Donkey Kong. OK, so we are we have taken the limits off and, and uh, I'm dreaming and God is giving us vision. Now, what I want to talk about today and next week is I want to talk about the power of your imagination. Now, the reason that this is so powerful, and I've taught on the imagination from a negative standpoint, because the Bible does say some things about guarding and protecting your imagination, but I want to largely speak on this from a positive standpoint in the sense of God using our imagination and we using our imagination to dream about what God has for us. Okay, so let's, let's get into this. If you're taking notes, write this down. The first thing I want you to see is God created us with imaginations and you can't think without it. So if God has created us with an imagination and you don't think without your imagination, you think in pictures, you don't think in words, you think in pictures, okay? So God created us this way. Now, we disregard our imaginations a lot of times because we've been told that that's childish. You know, anybody ever get in trouble in school daydreaming? Okay, I did. All right, some of you don't want to admit it, but you probably did. So what are we kind of uh, maybe indirectly taught is we shouldn't daydream. Now, you shouldn't daydream and not pay attention to what's going on. That's, I think, the motivation behind that. But what we almost did is went to the extreme and we discouraged young people 
from thinking about and dreaming about their future. And so what we do is we bring that into our adulthood. And so we, we don't spend any time thinking about our, in our future and getting a vision for our lives. So let me define imagination for you. So imagination straight from the dictionary is this, the act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Okay, I know that's kind of wordy. The act or power of forming a mental image of something not present to the senses or never before wholly perceived in reality. Let me give it to you in a little simpler form, and it's this. In other words, imagination is the ability to see something with our minds that we can't see with our physical eyes. I like that a little better. I appreciate Merriam-Webster, but it gets a little wordy sometimes. So imagination is the ability to see something with your mind that we cannot see with our physical eyes. Now you do understand, now listen to me carefully, you do understand you have two sets of eyes and two sets of ears. You want me to prove it to you? You remember in Mark chapter four when Jesus was uh, gathered the people up and he was teaching the people and the disciples and he was talking to them about the peril of the sower, parable of the sower. He said this, if any man has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, everybody standing there had these things on the side of their heads. So they had physical ears. So what was Jesus saying? Listen, don't try and hear this with these ears. Hear them with your spiritual ears. Okay, and so the Bible has a lot to say about hearing spiritually. The Bible has a lot to say about seeing spiritually. All right, and so that's what we're talking about. So again, imagination is the ability to see something with our minds that we cannot see with our physical senses. So just to expound on this a little bit, you know, where I was concerned, I would not allow myself to see our church going beyond a certain point because I couldn't justify that or reconcile it in the natural, in the physical. And so what I was doing is I was limiting God in the vision that he was in desiring to get across to me. So here's what you need to understand, all right? You have a vision on the inside of you of two things, what you can do and what you can't do. I'm going to say that again. You have a picture on the inside of you of two things, what you can do and what you can't do. Now, there's a whole bunch of factors that affect those. You know, as far as what we can do, there's a ceiling on that based on our life experiences, what we were told, what maybe relatives told us or so forth and so on. And then what we can't not do, same thing. We shape that based on what we believe, what other people have told us, maybe life experience. And so what God is endeavoring to do is to get us to break through the limit that those two things place on us. See, if, there's a, if, if you have a clear vision on the inside of you of what you're incapable of doing, that's the ceiling where you limit God. Oh, I could never see me preaching to more than about 50 people. I'm, I'm being 
you know, illustrative with that. All right. So what I've had to do is understand that if that's where I see myself capable or incapable of going any further than that, then I limit God right there. God is never going to take me beyond that point. So what I had to do is I had to go back to 1979 before some of y'all were born, like Gary, before he was born, okay? And I had to, I had to go back to that year when God began to reveal to me what my calling was in ministry where I saw myself clearly in my heart, in my spirit, preaching to thousands of people. And I had to go back and dig that up and throw some gasoline on that fire and reignite it and get that going again because what I had done over time is limited that and thus I had limited God. So I want to ask you a question. What is it in your life that if somebody said, I want you to do this, your response would be, I can't do that. Because I promise you that's the limit where you're limiting God right there. Because here's the thing, a lot of times what happens is, is we end up putting that ceiling on an area that we might suspect or we might think God is going to call us to do. So the latter image, the, the limitation of what we're capable of doing is the limit or the ceiling of what God can do in our lives. You know, I have a little cousin down in Florida. He's a little cute little guy. He's, I think he, he's eight years old. And his father uh, and mother bought him a go-kart. Now, they live out on a farm. And uh, so, you know, there's tons of acres for him to ride that go-kart. Go now, uh, and I've, it's a two-seater, so he's, he got all excited. He wanted to take me for a ride, so we went riding in the go-kart. He about dumped me out two or three times, but we still had a good time. But here's the thing. That engine on that go-kart, I, I want to say it's probably five horsepower, maybe a little bit bigger. It has something on it called a governor on the engine of that go-kart because here's what... Here's what the designers of that go-kart did. They said, we need to put a governor on this engine so that a young person who might be driving this cannot take it and do 80 miles an hour in it. Because you, you get a little kid that weighs 30 pounds, 40 pounds, throw him on that thing and that thing will move. All right? So what does that governor do? That governor limits the speed to which that go-kart can go. You know, school buses have uh, governors on them so that the school bus drivers can't do 80 through your neighborhood, okay? Now, I would swear some of those buses don't have limiters, governors on them, but anyway, that's beside the subject. But here's what I want you to see, and, and I didn't include this in your notes, but it might do you good to remember this, and that is this, your imagination is the governor for your life. Your imagination is what is limiting you in your life. Your imagination is what is keeping you from going further from where you are right now. Now, see, let me, let me use an example. You know, God calls us, and, and Jesus paid a great price for us to live, and I'm going to use a word that a lot of people think is a dirty word, but prosperity is the will of God for our lives. 
God doesn't want you just barely making it getting by. But if, you know, and you might hear that and you say, well, yes, praise the Lord, I believe that. But if deep down in your heart, in your imagination, if you only see yourself having enough to pay your bills, meet your needs, and live a comfortable lifestyle, that's the limit right there. Even though you might believe God's called us to live a prosperous, blessed lifestyle, if that is all your imagination, the farthest it will go, that is the limit that you place on God right there. And that's not God's will. Now, God may not cause you to be a billionaire, but I will tell you this, God has called you to have more than enough so you can use your resources to change this world in some degree or fashion. Are you listening to me? Okay. Now, write this down, please. Even our memory is tied to our imagination. Your memory is tied to your imagination. You don't remember stuff in words. You remember stuff in pictures. Okay? So let me show you a verse from the, uh, the Bible, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 and verse 18. This is a great moment in David's life. David is coming to the end of his reign as king of Israel. He really desires to build the temple for the Lord, but the Lord has told him, you won't build the temple, your son will. And so as he's coming close to the end of his reign, he takes up an offering for the construction of the temple. And uh, the Bible says that David personally gave, and the, the, there have been people a lot smarter than I that have gone and looked at the amount that he gave and brought it into modern day standards. And David gave an offering towards the construction of the temple in gold and silver and jewels and all of those types of things, more than $1 billion. Now that's a good offering. If any of you feel led to do that today, please let God have his way, okay? All right? <laughs> so, what am I saying? All right, so, <laughs> so David gave that offering, and it so inspired the people that the people, in addition to what David gave, gave another two or three billion dollars worth of things, gold, silver, etc., towards the construction of the temple. So David made a prayer after this great moment took place, and that's what is found in 1 Chronicles 29, 18. And he said this, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, our fathers, look at what he said, keep this forever in the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of your people and prepare their heart for you. What is he saying? He's saying, and, and what the scripture is telling us is that our memory is, revolves around the imagination of the thoughts of, our peop of the people. So in other words, let me say this to you. If I was to ask you, where did you park this morning when you came into the building? You wouldn't think in your head, 35 feet to the west, you would say, I parked out there and you could picture in your mind where your car is sitting. If you've ever traveled and, and flown somewhere and you left your car in the parking lot at the airport, you know, I encourage you take a picture or something of the little sign where your car is. But most of you can picture in your mind where you left your car. If I ask you, 
um, can you tell me about somebody who was in your graduating class in high school? You don't think a name. You think a picture. You remember in pictures. So you and I can't remember anything we can't picture or imagine. That is the power of your imagination. You think in pictures. Now, let me show you some verses in the Bible. And before I do, let me give you this. I believe I included this in your notes. But the Hebrew word for imagination in this verse that we just read in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, 18, where he talks about the imagination of the thoughts of the heart of the people, the Hebrew word for imagination in this verse is yetzer, Y-E-S-E-R. It's pronounced like it has a T in it, okay? And it was translated imagination five times in the Old Testament. Now, I looked it up, and there's about 14 references in this using this particular Hebrew word, and sometimes it's translated a couple of different ways. But let me show you some scriptures that uh, use it and translate it as imagination. So Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5 said this, uh, God coming down and looking at the people in, in Genesis 6, 5, it says that God saw the wickedness of man was great. This is just prior to the flood and in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And that's when God said, you know, I, it, I, I'm sorry that I made man, etc. Okay. If you fast forward a little bit, this is after the flood in Genesis uh, chapter eight, verses 20 and 21. It says, and Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast off the ark and every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not curse again the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, neither will I again smite anymore every living thing as I have done. In other words, God made a covenant that he would never flood the earth again. And But notice what he said, even though the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Same word, same, same Hebrew word. Now notice uh, in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9, just a chapter before. So here's Solomon, David's son. And David is talking to Solomon and he said, And you, Solomon, my son, know that you that the God of your father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind for the Lord searches all hearts and understands all the imaginations of the thoughts. If you seek him, he'll be found of you. And if you forsake him, uh, he will cast you off forever. So all, and, and there's more. I just am only giving you three instances of this. Okay, so you see where this is the Hebrew word that's translated imagination. Yet, sir. Now, what's interesting about this word is yet, sir, can also be translated frame or mind. You'll find verses in the Old Testament where it says that, that that word is translated frame or mind. Okay. Now let me show you a very, very powerful verse. I'm sure you've heard this verse before, but this Hebrew word yetzer is in this verse. Isaiah 26 verse three says this, you will keep him in perfect peace whose yet, sir, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. 
Now, let me, I'm going to substitute a word in here that I think will make this verse a whole lot more clear to you and easier to apply, okay? You, God, will keep him in perfect peace whose imagination is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You know what causes agitation, fear, worry, anxiety in our lives or a lack of peace? Can I say that? Is when we let our imaginations run wild and we see our lives experiencing things outside of God's will for our lives. In other words, we, we plan and imagine the worst. Okay? And so what happens is when you begin to imagine that, you experience a lack of peace. So God says through Isaiah, he said, if you will keep your imagination focused on him, he'll keep you in perfect peace. What does that mean? When, when the pressure is, is coming and, and the trials and tribulations of life arise in our lives, instead of letting our imagination run down the rabbit trail of failure and defeat, if we'll keep our imagination focused on what does God's word says? Well, God's word says, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. So what would my life look like if all of my needs were met? Okay. And so when you began to keep your imagination focused on the Lord, you open the door for peace in your life. Are you listening to me? Now, here's a really, really interesting uh, thing about this word, yet, sir. Yet, sir, can also be defined according to Strong's Concordance as conception. Conception. What does that mean? Write this down. The imagination is your spiritual womb. It is where we conceive God's miracle working power. We conceive it. All right, now I'm going to say something to you that might startle you, but it's true nonetheless. Uh, tell somebody close by, say you need to pay attention to what he's getting ready to tell you. Okay, that didn't sound very strong. All right, why don't you try it again? Tell them with a little more force. Say so you need to wake up and pay attention. Okay, all right. Okay, Here, here's what, what the Lord ministered to me, and I wanted to give this to you. Here we go. We are not seeing answers to our prayers because we will not allow the answer to be conceived in our imaginations. Okay, I'm going to say that to you again. We are not seeing answers to our prayers because we will not allow the answer, whatever the answer is, to be conceived in our imaginations. A lot of us are praying for things, but we're not allowing those things to be conceived in our imaginations. Okay, let me, let me illustrate it for you this way, and I'm not trying to be plain when I say this, but, but this really registered it for me, and I think it'll do the same thing for you. If, if you have a couple, you know, a husband and a wife, and they are having problems having children for whatever reason, physical condition or whatever, okay? And they come up to me, and they say, Pastor, we would like for you to pray and agree with us that God will work a miracle 
and we will be able to have a child. And of course, I would say, well, absolutely, because I know the, all things are possible to him that believeth. You know, and we could just, we could go scripture after scripture on that. If any two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 18. So let's pray and let's agree, okay? So we pray, we agree, all right? So then they go home, we dismiss the service, they go home, they come back in six months. Pastor, we don't understand. We have not yet been able to have a child, okay? Now I'm gonna say something, and I'm not trying to be crude, all right, but listen to me. I'm gonna ask a question, and they say, okay, ask anything, all right? Are you having sex in your relationship? Well, no. Then how do you expect conception to take place if you're not doing what's necessary to conceive? Okay, what am I saying? What I'm saying is that what we do is we pray and we ask God for things, but we don't do what's necessary for conception to take place so we can give birth to the answers that God wants to bring to pass in our lives. So what we do, now listen, there's nothing wrong with this. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but you have to get to a point where you move past this. So what we do is we come and we ask somebody else to pray for us and conceive that for us and be our surrogate spiritually. Now that can work. And, and I'm not knocking a couple that does that in the natural. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But the original plan is for a man and a woman to get married, have physical relations, conceive, and give birth to children. That is the plan. The, the alternative is surrogacy and all the other things that we do. Spiritually speaking, the plan is that we go to God's word, we find out what God's word says, we spend enough time intimately with God's word so that he can conceive that down on the inside of us in our imaginations and then we will eventually give birth to what has been conceived on the inside of us. But we haven't been doing what is necessary for conception to take place. Am I helping anybody? Okay. All right, let me, I'm going to just mention a verse. Um, it's not in your notes, and uh, you don't necessarily have to, you could pull it up if you want to. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1. I can quote it. Uh, they're going to try and put it on the screen. Hebrews 11, 1 in the New King James Version says this. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Okay? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. What is hope? Somebody tell me. Say it real loud, Kathy. It is expectation. Hope is what you are expecting. 
What do we call a woman who is pregnant? She's expecting. See, faith is designed to give substance to whatever you're pregnant with. Again, I'm not trying to be crude, but it's the best way that I know to illustrate it because it's a spirit, it's a physical illustration of something that happens spiritually. Okay? There we go. We finally got it up there. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here's what the Lord told me as I was making these adjustments at the end of the year and, you know, dealing with what we're talking about. He told me, he said, you have great faith, but your faith has had nothing to work with because you haven't allowed conception to take place. In other words, I would not allow my imagination to conceive on the inside of me what God was desiring to bring to pass. And so my faith had nothing to work with. Okay, that's not too deep for you, is it? All right. So if we conceive a miracle, we will give birth to it. Ask Mary. You know, think about this. We talked about this at Christmas time. All Mary had to work with was what an angel told her. Think about that. What did she do? She allowed what the word, the word of God that was delivered to her through Gabriel to conceive something on the inside of her. And eventually it showed up in the natural. I'm going to say this to you, and I, I'm not being sacrilegious when I say this. Jesus is and was the Word made flesh among us, right? Okay. The answer to your prayer is the Word becoming naturally manifested. Okay, that'll dawn on you when, when, on your way home, okay? Um, we must take control and begin to conceive the plans and purposes of God in our imagination. And we, when we would become spiritually pregnant, here's what I can promise you. It's only a matter of time before delivery comes. Now, I can't tell you it's going to be nine months, okay? <laughs> but, I mean, it could be less than that. Could be more than that. I don't know. But what I can tell you, for, based on the authority of God's Word, is that if you will use your imagination on purpose and conceive God's plan on the inside of you, it's a matter of time before it comes to pass. Okay? So... Write this down, please. We must meditate on the Word of God until we conceive something. Now, I don't have time this week. I'm, I'm going to get into it more next week, talking about meditation, okay? Meditation. Meditation is not where we cross our legs funny and burn incense and go, hum, okay? That's Eastern meditation, I'm talking to you about Bible meditation, okay? Bible meditation is where you sit with the Word on purpose or stand, whatever, with the Word on purpose and imagine, picture your life being lived out in line with God's Word. So let's say 
um, let's say you, you're dealing with sickness and disease in your body, okay? However that might take shape or form, okay? What you're going to have to do is spend enough time with the Word until the Word builds an image on the inside of you of you being healed, let me, let me go to an extreme case. Let's say you have experienced something and you're in a wheelchair. I can promise you, you are never getting out of that wheelchair until you see yourself getting out of that wheelchair. Let me give you an illustration. Andrew uses this in, in the book. Uh, there was a pastor's wife and there was a church where they had brought in a healing evangelist for a revival that they were having in the church. This was some time ago. And uh, the wife had, had serious issues with her, with her eyes. You know, there's an old country saying, <laughs> I don't mean to be cruel when I say this, but she had glasses so thick they looked like the bottoms of Coke bottles. You know, you know what I'm saying, okay? Her vision was bad, all right? And uh, she had been prayed for and been prayed for and been prayed for, and, and her vision never got any better. And she had the whole week that this healing evangelist, this is a true story, was in their church. She avoided him because she didn't want to be disappointed again because she had had everybody and their brother pray for her and her vision never got any better. So what happened is, is the last night that he was there, he finally cornered her and he said, I want to pray for your eyesight. And so she reluctantly relented and said, okay. So she took off her glasses. He laid hands on her and he prayed for her. Well, he told her to close her eyes. He laid hands on her. He prayed for her. And he said, he said, now, do you see? Well, she opened her eyes. He said, I didn't tell you to open your eyes. He said, do you see? And she started to open her eyes again. He said, I did not tell you to open your eyes. He asked her again. He said, do you see? And she opened her eyes again. And he said, I did not tell you to open your eyes. Well, finally, she began to catch on. So what she did is she kept her eyes closed and he asked her again, he said, what or, or do you see? And she stood there for a moment. She began to pray in the spirit. She prayed in the spirit and prayed in the spirit. And finally, she said, I can see. And he said, open your eyes. And she did. And her vision was 2020. What am I saying to you? that you have to see that before you see it. Now, this sounds so much like new agey, positive thinking stuff. By the way, they stole that from the Bible. Okay? All right? Now, so write this down. Before you see something happen on the outside, you must see it on the inside. So let me, let me just be very real and very practical and using myself as an example. Our church is never going to grow beyond what I see it growing. Okay? That's just the real bottom line, rubber meets the road facts. So if I want us to reach more people for Jesus, which I do, and I want to see our church grow, then I have to see it growing. So that's what I've begun to do in taking the limits off of God. I have begun to expand what I see. 
Not with what I see in my natural eyes, but what I see in my spirit. Okay? See, it must become so real to you and me that you see yourself doing it or experiencing it. See, what I've got to do is I've got to see every one of these seats filled, us having to get those bleachers, lean them down, roll them around here so people can sit back there on the bleachers. I've got to see that. I've got to see us having to figure out where we're going to park all the cars out there. I got to see us having to move out of here because the capacity that they have placed on us is 300 people. We can't go beyond 300 people in this room. So, so I've got to see us having to find someplace else to have church. Why? Because there are so many people that are coming. And see, here's what I'm telling you. I had to get past the, 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 that it was about me. It's not about me. It's about people finding out about Jesus, finding out who they are in Christ, being delivered, being set free, their lives impacted by the word of God. That's what it's all about. Am I helping anybody? Okay, resurrect your imagination and start using it in a positive way. Write this down. When it comes to God's plan for our lives, we must use our imaginations to see those things come to pass. Somebody says, I don't know what God's plan is for my life. Then you need to spend some time, not only in the written word of God, but you need to spend some time praying in the spirit so you can find out what is God's plan for your life. Because God's not holding it back. God doesn't do stuff like that. He doesn't say, y'all need to find out what the plan is for your life, but I'm not going to show it to you. Okay? I'm going to say this to you. All right, are you ready? Buckle your seatbelt. Our lives are the way they are today because of the way we have seen them or pictured them in our imaginations yesterday. The way we imagine, the way we think determines the direction that our lives go. Nothing, say nothing. Nothing can be built without imagination. Somebody says, I don't know about that, Pastor. Well, why don't you ask an architect? Can they build a building without using their imagination? No, they can't. What an architect is trained and skilled to do is take what is pictured in the imagination and be able to put it on paper so that a contractor can look at what's put on paper and construct in the physical what somebody saw in their imagination. You can't see anything happening in your life without your imagination. So you must use your imagination to start thinking and seeing bigger. Okay, you need a bigger house. You need to see yourself living in a bigger house. You need a better automobile. Quit seeing yourself riding around in a hoopty all the time. Some of y'all don't know what that means, do you? <laughs> A hoopty is a point A to point B car. You know what that is? Where it just runs just well enough to get you from point A to point B, but nothing beyond that. Okay? God wants more for you. Why? Because he might want you to drive something nice for a little while and then give it to somebody else. Praise you, Jesus. Okay? 
We will become exactly what we imagine, whether that image is positive or negative. Here's the last thing. Write this down. If we can picture or imagine something from God's word, we can have it or do it. God said that. Okay? Now, next week, we're going to get super duper practical. You know, that's me. I'm very, very practical. So we're going to, we're going to look at how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you change the picture in your heart? How do you change it? We're going to get into that because here's the thing. I believe what we're talking about right now is so hugely important for the will of God to come to pass in our church, in our lives individually, in our households. That what we are talking about here right now is the or a major key to it happening. Okay? And I think, uh, you know, I just believe um, that a lot of us are not seeing God's will for our lives come to pass and receiving answers to our prayers because of this very thing right here. What we're talking about. Amen? It's not that you don't have faith. You have faith. If you've heard the word, faith is present. But it, the problem is you, you're not putting faith to anything so that it can come to pass in your life. So say this after me. Say, I will, I will. take the limits off. I'm going to take the limits off of God. I'm going to see my life live differently. I'm going to see my life lived by the word of God. If God says I can have it, I'm going to see myself with it. If God says I can do it, I'm going to see myself doing it. If God says I can experience it, I'm going to see myself experience it. You know, I did hear uh, Andrew share this testimony, and he talks about it in the book too, but um, he began to, there's a scripture in John chapter 14 and verse 12 that Jesus said, the works that I do shall you do also, and greater works than these because I go to my Father. Okay? But pastor, that was just for the disciples. I didn't see anywhere in that verse where it said just for the disciples, just for the apostles. He said, matter of fact, he, in a verse prior to that, he said, anybody, my paraphrasation, anybody who believes. Okay? So what Andrew did is he stepped back and he said, you know what? My ministry, I'm not seeing people... I'm not seeing the extreme miraculous that I see in Jesus' ministry. I'm not seeing people raised from the dead as I saw in Jesus' ministry. I'm not seeing things happen in, in my ministry, in my life, that Jesus said ought to be happening. So what Andrew did, you know, you can agree with this or think this is crazy. That's your prerogative. I'll respect your right to be wrong. Um, what he began to do is he began to study every case in the Gospels and in the Scripture where somebody was raised from the dead. And he studied it and he meditated on it, studied it and meditated on it. Oh, I mean, for a long period of time to the point where he began to dream about it at night. 
where he began to see people being raised from the dead in his ministry. And uh, so he did this over a period of time and um, this went on and this went on and this went on. And all of a sudden he and his wife got a call that their son had been killed. I, I can't remember if it was an accident, something happened. He was, had been dead for several hours, was in the freezer at the morgue with a body tag on his foot. And Andrew and Jamie, his wife, walked in there and this had become so real on the inside of him, he refused to accept that this was the final outcome. And he prayed and spoke God's word and his son sat up in the morgue and started talking. Now somebody says, oh, wow, that's just, that sounds like a fairy tale. No. Did Jesus say what he meant and did he mean what he said? Okay. It, the only reason that he experienced that is because he took the limits off of God and, and, you know, he's not the only one that God has ever used to raise somebody from the dead. I'm not necessarily saying you need to go down to the hospital right now and start raising people from the dead unless you can see it. I know that sounds weird, okay? All right? But here's what I'm saying to you. Where are we limiting God? Can you imagine what a testimony that would be? Some, especially to somebody who saw that young man die and he shows back up to work the next day? Only thing you could say is, but God. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.